Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic on Big Ten Football. This is Scott Dockerman and I mostly cover Iowa. Today I'm joined by Phil Parker, defensive coordinator of the Iowa Hawkeyes and perhaps the most underrated assistant coach in the country. Phil was a three-time first-team All-Big Ten safety with Michigan State from 1983 to 85, then became a graduate assistant with his alma mater before working 11 years as secondary coach at, at Toledo. He joined Kirk Ferentz's staff in 1999 coaching DBs and then became the defensive coordinator in 2012. Iowa's defense is ranked among the nation's best in multiple categories in recent years and led the country in yards allowed per play last year and stop rate percentage. No Power 5 team has more interceptions than Iowa the last four years, and no program has allowed fewer plays of 20-plus yards during the same time frame. With that, legends and listeners, here's Phil Parker. How are you today, sir? Scott, I'm doing good. Hopefully everybody's doing well out there. Um, you know, it's it's getting here to the last week of uh, all our camps going on, and uh, things are going well for us right now, and, and we're just trying to get our guys on the off-season program in the summer. Okay, great. Well, I looked at your background at Michigan State, and actually I was blown away by a lot of your accomplishments, um, whether I just hadn't looked at them before or just decided to, to take a gander, but you still rank third in, in Michigan State history with 16 interceptions and your third in, in interception yardage in a career. You still hold the, return, the record for return yards in one season with 203 in 1983. You won uh, Michigan State's President's Award, which was given to the player who showed the most perseverance. And you were the outstanding underclassman at 83 and senior defensive MVP in 1985. What can you take away from your experiences at Michigan State looking back now, you know, 35 years later? And uh, what did you learn while you were there? Well, one thing about it is uh, when I first got there at Michigan State, uh, you know, I was a young kid, didn't know much uh, going in. Um, didn't play very much, didn't play at all really in my uh, freshman year. And and then in my second year, redshirt uh, freshman year, didn't play, but it made me one play in that. And, um, you know, I was very young and didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, and we changed the coaching staff during that time, so it was kind of intriguing. Uh, having a new coaching staff coming in and, and a new life um, gave me an opportunity. Uh, I, I had an opportunity to go out there and, and show the new coaches you know, what I was doing, but I also grew as a person and grew as a player. And you're never as good as you think you are, and you go back and look at the films and you say, <laughs> oh, boy. you know. And it's kind of funny because we do the same things here. I, I, I go through and... Um, Bob Sanders, one of the guys that you know I coached, and I remember I was hard on him, and he always used to say, you know, why are you always hard on me? And then he kind of looked at the film when he was at the Indianapolis Colts when he was there, and he goes, boy, coach, I could have made a lot more plays than I did. Mm-hmm. You really don't know it yeah. until you get out of it. And uh, so I was very blessed to, to have some good coaches, you know, head coaches, George Perlis there, mm-hmm. and obviously Norm Parker was there. And, you know, I played for Nick. He was the secondary coach, defensive coordinator there. So, learned a lot of things from there. Just uh, how to go about, you know, your work ethic and, and and be a tough. And football's a tough game. You know, I saw, I looked through some of the players you played with, uh, whether it's in practice or, or you know, against uh, in certain times. Uh, Carl Banks, a tremendous player, borderline Hall of Famer at the next at the NFL level. 
Uh, Lorenzo White was one of the best running backs of the Big Ten in the 80s. Um, you had, uh, you know, Jim Morrissey, you know, one of the last people to wear 51 for the Bears uh, before it finally got retired for Dick Buckus. Um, Andre Risen and Mark Ingram at receivers, and uh, both were had stellar NFL careers. And, of course, uh, Ingram's son has had a pretty good career, too. Uh, but then, as you mentioned, you played for George Perlis, uh, one of the great assistant coaches in NFL history with the Steelers all those years on the defensive line, Norm Parker, which you know everybody here knows well, and a great defensive mind. And, and then Nick Saban. So was he the defensive backs coach when you were uh, the safety? Yes. Uh, uh, Nick was the uh, – he came in in 80, 83, 83 season to uh, 84, 85. In 86 and 87 but he was the, uh, the secondary guy and then he became the coordinator the next year but uh, Ty Willingham was uh, my coach the first two years 81 and 82 and then he became the secondary coach in 83. Wow I mean that, those are some names I mean people know all of them. Yeah it was, it was very I was very blessed to be around some great coaches and uh, had the opportunity with you know just learning from different guys and everybody had different views and they were different types of coaches. When, what did you take away from Nick that early in his career, coaching career? What maybe did he teach you? And, and has anything kind of propelled you over the, the span since you were at Michigan State? Well, I think he's very detailed, very well coached. I mean, he, he gave me a lot of things that to look forward and uh, how to read, read offenses, you know, and how to uh, actually see what's going on very detailed in what he wanted to do and I thought he did a great job of you know persistently demanding from you you know and trying to be the best you can be and you're never good enough and and so I, I, I kind of take that same role model just you know you got to keep working uh, if you made a play I expect you to make the play you know and even if you made the play you could have done the play better mm -hmm. you know so I, I kind of carry that over a little bit with with my guys and in, in the room and the secondary room right and then you coached for him one year right he was coach at Toledo while you were there for 11 years um, I think you coached DBs one year that yeah that right? uh, first we became a GA uh, with him uh, it was probably 987 okay 87 was a GA and then right at the end of that we went to the Rose Bowl that year and he went to Houston at the time and then I went to Toledo for two years and I was there two years, and then they changed coaches there, so I called Nick up, you know, when they released us there, and uh, he ended up getting a job hmm. in 1990, and I worked there as a position coach with him there, and it's very different then, you know, because Nick likes to coach the secondary, and and there was times when he sent me out recruiting on Fridays so he could run the meeting. Hmm. You know, that was one way he could get back into the room and coach the guys. Uh, but he was, you know, the good thing about it, he let me coach the guys. And uh, there was only one time he came in there and threw some ball drills, you know, <laughs> to make him happy. He asked if, I could, if he could throw the balls in individuals, so I let him. <laughs> you know, he's the head coach. Uh, but it was a good year. Uh, we were co-champions that year. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a lot of good players from the year before. and. It was a good opportunity for him to come in there, and, and we were co-champ. And then after that year, he ended up going to the Cleveland Browns. Right. Where he worked with Kirk, you know, a couple of years later. So uh, kind of 
moving ahead in 1999, um, I think you were maybe the last assistant that Kirk hired here for the secondary coaching job. And was that something that did, when Norm Parker was brought in, did Norm contact you? Did Kirk contact you? Or did you contact Norm uh, as far as coming to Iowa? Well, it all started out with uh, we were at the convention. Mm -hmm. And I was at an ice cream social with my wife Sandy and uh, came out of uh, the social and I, I bumped into Norm Parker and um, it was just kind of ironic. Uh, he goes, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. And, and we talked a little bit. He said he, he might have an opportunity somewhere if I were to be interested in never leaving Toledo. And I really didn't know where. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, well, I just wanted to know if you would be interested in, in leaving. And then a couple of weeks later, then I ended up getting a phone call for from Norm and saying, hey, Kirk is going to call you and see if you want to interview here. And um, I remember the uh, time we came out, it was, came out here to interview, really didn't know what to expect, you know, and it was interesting and um, didn't know if I was going to get the job or not, didn't know if I wanted the job or not. Uh, it was just interesting that I looked at it and, and seen the coaches that mm -hmm. actually coached here stayed a long period of time. And I thought that was a, uh, something that was really unique. And I thought I'd want my kids to make sure that they grew up in the same school system. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was where the opportunity to come. So I got lucky to get offered the job, uh, you know, probably about a week or two after I interviewed and very lucky and fortunate to still be here. Right. And, and you guys certainly had to build, rebuild this program. It was great in the 80s. You played against Iowa, a couple of real, you know, white knuckle games for both teams. One, um, you know, I think in 84, you got to go to the Cherry Bowl because of beating Iowa by an inch. And, and of course, Hayden Fry and Chuck Long will say, no, they won the game and didn't get called that way. <laughs> that, that is true. I think it was 84, right? Yeah. That's and then in 85, the flip with, uh, you know, Chuck Long with the bootleg at the end of the game. So you knew kind of what Iowa was at that point, at least as a program. But when you came in here, it was kind of bare bones rebuilding it. What was the challenge that you saw right away with Iowa, with the players, and then the system that you were trying to build? Well, it's, you know, the system when we came in here, obviously when you bring in somebody new that's uh, – you know, it's very difficult for the players and the coaches. And everybody does their things a different way. There's different ways to skin a cat. And we had, you know, Norm came in with a different defense, uh, different structure. Um, probably some guys that coach a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Didn't know them, didn't recruit them. So that was very hard. But uh, I think after a while, and, and, and you start coaching them, and you just kind of keep on building. And I, I think we might have won, what, one game, mm. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I just remember at the time, I, my son, he was sitting there, we were driving away, and he goes, it was a lot easier to win at Toledo than it is here at Iowa going down Melrose after mm. a game. And couldn't agree more with him, but yeah. it was just a, it was that point in time that we just got to keep pushing forward. And as we went, you know, through – 99 to 2000, 2001, you can see the growth in the, in the, in the team. Mm -hmm. And the kids, you know, were believing in our system. And then obviously in 2002, you know, 
that was really an exceptional year for us and that kind of made us you know carry on and keep going you look at you've had great players in, in your position group the entire time i mean even going way back matt bowen and Derek pagel early on but if there was a tone setter maybe the entire program it was bob sanders and uh, i know there's there's stories of him you know offensive players or he had to wear a red jersey uh you know other players he had to tone him down at times because he was uh get everybody hurt but what did he mean to the program and the defense when he was on the field yeah uh, very interesting you talked about you know the first guy was matt bowen was and i just saw him the other day uh at a camp he's yeah. coaching now and and bring it and he was very typical of the tough strong safety type of guy too very happy to see him last week um, but Bob Sanders uh, he, he definitely uh, was a guy that probably changed the tempo of our practices and changed our tempo probably our defenses mentality mm -hmm. and I think it grew on everybody else you know and Bob wasn't very big he's 5'8 still 5'8 but <laughs> he had a he had a very uh, explosive uh, well, I always thought it was like a six-inch punch of, you know, Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. You know, he's probably the most, probably the strongest, most uh, explosive kid that I have ever coached. And obviously, you know, he played very well and NFL player, you know, pro player and MVP and all that. But I think that was, that was the guy that set the tempo and the standard of, hey, this is the way you got to play the game. And he played the game the way you play the supposed to play the game of football. It's changed, right? Yeah, it's changed. <laughs> but back then, he set the standard for for us here at the University of Iowa on defense. And talking to guys like uh, Sean Considine and, and Chad Greenway over the years, that what they said was the way Bob worked, whether it was on the field in the weight room, obviously playing field that it forced everybody to come up to his level because you couldn't say, I didn't give my all if he's given his all. Is that what you kind of saw, that he was the one that, the, the straw that stirred the drink of the defense at that point? Yeah, I'd say that. Uh, I think the way he um, worked out, the way he trained, and, and then this, you know, to me, the, the way you see he, he was going at it on the football field, whether it was practice mm -hmm. or the game, he was full go, metal guy, he, he was gone. And we'd have to take him out of drills. I mean, it was like, hey, Bob, you can't do it because he only knew one way, <laughs> you know. And even if you told him don't hit him, he'd still hit him. So you'd have to take him out of practice. Uh, so he had enough work. Yeah. So you'd get him out of there anyways, you know. So, But really appreciate the way he, he went about his business, you know. And I love when he comes back and he talks to our players. And gives a different view of a guy that uh, played in the NFL, played here, very successful, played in the NFL, very successful, and that he just goes back and just tries to tell them what, how he went about it. Mm -hmm. And some kids don't understand what it takes, you know. Right. Well, they didn't have a defensive back of the year award back in the early 2000s, unfortunately, because either he or Mike Doss would have won it <laughs> a couple of years in a row there. Uh, but since that's been instituted, you've had four, four out of the eight, nine or eight or whatever uh, awards it's been. And 
what's fascinating to me is this isn't five star guy you know these aren't five star guys going out there and winning it you've got uh, two of them were two stars micah hyde and uh and jackson josh jackson two of the other two were barely three-star recruits and imani hooker and desmond king and neither one had a lot of offers for what they wanted to do um how is it that you're able to either identify them in the recruiting process or put them in a position like in Josh's case, uh, who is a wide receiver, and put them in a position to succeed? What do you see early in the process and in, in how they develop and how are you able to kind of put them in position to where they can become these types of players? Well, one, you have have a guy, I think in recruiting, we're, we're looking for guys that love the game of football. Mm-hmm. And if you can find somebody that loves the game of football, then you have a chance. And they, they definitely have to have skill, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's speed or quickness or whatever. They, they have to have some kind of skill to it. But the time that they put in the preparation, you know, if you really love the game and you and you got to play it, you have to study the game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it, there's enough kids right now that understand how you have to do that. It takes a lot of work and a lot of hours, and I think uh, the more you can teach these guys again about the football, the game slows down. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, whether it was Bob or whether it was Josh Jackson, Micah Hyde, you know, they start seeing things a lot faster, and they're playing a lot faster than what they ran the forty in. And it's not all about running the 40-yard dash or, you know, whatever it is, but it's about seeing, diagnosing the play, understanding what you're getting based on what we're playing mm-hmm. and what, what you're going to get and can you see it. And if they put the time and effort into it, and uh, look, look at another guy, Jake Javas is another right. guy that just, you know, this is he's going into his third year and now he's going to be playing linebacker. Mm-hmm. Just saw him the other day. Wow. And you look at him the way he went. I, and there's a one time that I didn't think, as a walk-on here, it was a good walk-on. And you know, is he going to be able to make, you know, our team and play? I didn't think he'd ever play here. Mm-hmm. And now he's going on his third year. So I really think it's you know, they got to have talent. Okay, they got to have desire to love the game, mm-hmm. and then the effort that they put when they get into it, when they get here, you know, what are they doing? How do they grow from year to year? You know, could be month to month, you know, right. some guys. Well, I look at Micah Hyde, first of all. I think he was like a 165-pound quarterback in, what, I think he was Fostoria, Ohio. And uh, his brother played at Michigan State as a safety, a little bit bigger guy. He came here and right away made started making plays on special teams. And then his second year, it kind of was a surprise in some ways because I want to say, you know, you had some other good corners, you know, Bernstein and, um, and uh, Sean Prater, you know, both were really good players, but he still just, you know, distinguished himself and then became, you know, obviously came up with a couple of really big plays right away in that 2010 season. Um, and now he's still playing. He's, he's been to the Pro Bowl. He's done his second, almost third contract in the NFL. And I, I look at him and what he learned from you, you know, and how he, was, what did he do specifically to be able to put himself in that position other than what you kind of mentioned, but then to take him into it and be a, uh, a, a player at the next level that can last as long as he's done? Well, I, when we recruited him, you know, he did play quarterback. He played uh, 
free safety for him. He, he lined up 20 yards deep and just make sure nobody would score. And the quarterback was very, you know, very good at it. But I, I actually went and watched him practice basketball, I bet you four or five times, mm. just in practice. And, and the kid had something, you know, you could see it. You know, he's very athletic, but he could see things vision-wise, you know, how he passed the ball, how he delivered the ball, in the, just on the basketball court. And uh, really fortunate that, uh, you know, knew the high school coach and, you know, had a relationship with him and he brought him out here and we, we got lucky to get him out here, you know, because he, he got offered about halfway here when he got to Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, from I think Mark D'Antonio, okay. because he found out that he was here. <laughs> um, but it was we we're really lucky, lucky to get him. And once again, he just worked hard, and he put in the work. And he's a good athlete, but he could see things, and he played multiple sports, you know. And that's the things that I think that help him. And I think it still comes down to, you know, how much does a kid want to do it? You know, right. we could guide him, and try to lead them but really it's the kids that go in there and prepare and do it they're the ones that make it happen you know but there's one play of his career I mean granted he had two great returns um, um, in that 2010 season but I think the one that stands out for me was the Northwestern game where you know it was a tough year Venrick Mark kind of breaks through the defense he's running it looks like it's gonna be like a 95 yard touchdown and then he didn't give up on the play, and he runs all the way down, tracks him down, and that told me that there was something different with him as opposed to somebody who might, all right, I'm going to run 40 yards, and then, okay, it looks like he's gone. I mean, I, and I think that stood out for me. It, it really did. I thought it was it was a position he he was closing and, and might have lost track of where the ball was, uh, and he folded back into the pursuit angle. And I really believe that because uh, nobody really knew how fast he was. Mm -hmm. And when they seen that play, yeah. he was fast enough to catch the guy. So that that actually helped him. Mm -hmm. I thought in in to getting involved into the, you know, the pro scouts or whatever were looking at him and said, "Wow, you know, he was that far behind and he caught this kid, which is pretty fast." You know, right. so I, I think it verified his speed a little bit. One other guy I really like to watch here. He's started more games than any player in history. I think he's got a really interesting backstory too, and that's Desmond King. Um, I talked to his high school coach the other day, Rod Oden, and he, he was telling me about how what you do in your recruiting, especially in that part of the world, and even if you go into high schools where even if there's not a prospect, but you just have conversations, because there might be one in two or three years, and then they may also know that, hey, this kid across town was on a two and seven team, um, hasn't really had anybody looking at him, but you might want to give him a look. Uh, what's kind of your recollection of going to East English Village um, and talking to to Rod, to to Desmond, his mom, and uh, how did you how were you able to kind of to get him to convince him to even take a visit to Iowa, let alone then uh, sign him? Really interesting. I, I was going in there and I wasn't recruiting the area for a while, but I got moved back in to the Detroit area at the time. It was towards the end of January. And I went around to some of the coaches, high school coaches, and asking, you know, who the best players are. And I remember I was at Orchard Lake St. Mary's, which was a Catholic school right outside of town. And, and uh, George Porter, he, he's the one that kind of 
said, hey, this kid over here I think is the best player in Michigan. <laughs> and he's going, I think it was Ball State at the time. So I happened to, you know, go back down, start my way down to the city because that was in the suburbs up, up north, northwest of, of the Detroit. And um, so I go in and start asking other coaches down there that I've recruited other players from. And I went to obviously to Coach Odom and, you know, what do you think about them? And, and he really, you know, was really high on him. Mm-hmm. You know, he told me he was committed to Ball State, but, you know, you're more than welcome to talk to him. And, you know, I looked at the tape and he played very well on, on both sides of the ball, mm-hmm. you know, with all the things he can do. And, and I think the time when I actually met him, in person and met with the academic people there that is a counselor you know just the the energy and the look mm-hmm. that he had and the way he presented himself to me not only I saw the film yeah had recommendations from him but the way he presented himself uh, to me in, in the office with the uh, academic people too and it's just like and they couldn't say much more about him. I mean, they really recommended him, and mm. uh, Coach Odom, you know, stood behind him. And was he the biggest kid? No, but the kid had something, and you could see it in him. Yeah. You know. And uh, you know, getting him here on campus, I think it was the the second quarter or the first quarter of the first game. I think Jordan Lomax had a hamstring. And you and I remember him going in, and I'm like, "Whoa, here's a true freshman from Detroit that's out there." And he uh, must have had a lot of faith in him. What did he do right away that enabled you to have enough faith in him to go out there and play? Because he had to play against some really good teams that year too. Well, it was kind of interesting, you know. You look at it; he's played football from when he was really little, and mm-hmm. the pal teams down in Detroit and as he goes up but uh, there's so Cubs pals mm. I, I don't know exactly right. I can't remember exactly what one he's playing for uh, but he has a lot of years of playing both sides of the ball so when he got here like playing football was a kind of a thing that it, that's what he did, does yeah. so it wasn't like I had to teach him a lot he kind of understood you t- teach him a couple things at a corner you can get away with hey you have to do this in this coverage, this and this coverage. And he could see things, you know, and that was our probably one of our only options probably at the time. Put him in there, he stood his ground, made some plays, mm-hmm. and just kept on growing as a player every every day. And uh, really never gave up the spot. Right. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you, you look at him and he, he looks physical enough. He looks more like a safety in Bill, probably. But uh, as far as, you know, speed, he's got some speed, but not a lot of great speed. But it just seems like he was he always put himself in position to make plays. And that 2015 year where he had eight interceptions, I mean, he was a he was a difference maker in that team that won 12 games. And, you know, and then even I remember having arguments in 2016 when people are saying, oh, he must have had a down year. I'm like, nobody's throwing to him. You know, he, he's, he's on one side of the field, and, and Greg Maven played well for the most part, but he's getting all the balls in his direction because nobody wants to attack Desmond. So I, I, it was just a, one of the great careers, I think, and certainly uh, one of the great recruiting jobs because that, those are the type of recruits that you get a lot of times. Iowa gets a lot of times. They're developmental, but kind of in that 
well, they're not quite tall enough or fast enough for a Michigan or Ohio State, but you come to Iowa and then, bam, you're a two-time All-American. Well, you know, he's, he, I was very blessed that he turned out to, to what it was we were, and I think he's, uh, he's earned it, you know. And to me, I think as, as you go look for these guys out there, there's a lot of kids that don't have the opportunity that you see out there that maybe start later, mm -hmm. don't get the publicity that they need. And the kid had, you know, had a chip on his shoulder a little bit, like, hey, I can play just about with anybody. And he's proven that he can. And, you know, he might not be the fastest guy. He had really great balance mm -hmm. and great leverage. And he could strike you as a football player. Mm -hmm. Very good tackler for a corner, mm -hmm. you know. And like you said, he probably could have played safety. And we probably could have played him a little bit earlier. Probably inside is going you know, to be a great, you know, what we call the cash guy. Oh, yeah. You know, a blitzer, a guy come off the edge, cover man to man, mm -hmm. you know. So, very happy for him. Yeah, that would have been an, an amazing role for him based on what you do with that position now. Um, and that's what he kind of plays somewhat in the NFL, more of a slot corner, cash. Yeah. And, and so yeah. he would have been <laughs> and thinking back. I'm like, you know, Monty Hooker to me was kind of the prototype, but he actually probably would have been the perfect prototype at that spot. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and kind of looking back at, at Imani, he was in a similar Vane. He was from Minneapolis. He goes to the Gopher camps a couple of times. They don't offer him. Um, I think Seth was his primary recruiter. And then you get him on the field pretty early, I think, in special teams. And then in, I think, the 17 season, I look out there and on a goal line situation, he's locked up with Alan Lazard at Iowa State. So um, what was kind of his story into getting to the field and ultimately becoming the cash um, you know, he was very interesting. It's, uh, he's a very talented kid when he first came in here and still is. Uh, I think with him, it was the maturity took a little bit longer for him to come forward with it. And I think when we put him out there on Lazar, I think it was, uh, he, he, I thought he was the next best cover guy. Mm -hmm. And I thought he would be big enough to go out there and, and cover there. Uh, that's where he kind of we fit him in as like, hey, if we're going to try to win this game, I think that's what we might need to do. And then he, as he became more understanding of the defense and more understanding what he had to do as a football player, then you can see him grow. And then he became a full-time player all the time. But uh, I thought he had some, he did some, he had an act too, very similar to Desmond. You know, very similar to Bob. You know, all these guys have guys that have a, a, a thing when they play football that they can see things. And as a secondary guy, you need to be able to take big pictures, small pictures, big pictures, small picture, mm -hmm. so you can understand what's going on and have to be able to react. You've seen offensives change probably more over the last 20 years than any other 20-year period in football history. Um, yeah, I think back and when you started at Iowa, there were maybe one or two teams that kind of ran spread style, which was Northwestern with Randy Walker and Joe Tiller at, at Purdue um, with Drew Brees and that. And then you, then you also had uh, Antoine Randall-L, who could, man, he would have been a great player in today's era. He might have been a Heisman winner type. Uh, you, 
but I think one thing that was interesting with Norm and yourself, you guys kind of formulated a, a policy to just leave the best players on the field at that point. What was, and then it worked, especially in that Northwestern game, I want to say in 2000, uh, 2000. Um, how did that, how, what, why did that become the major philosophy for you guys, especially when Norm was here? And then how did you got, how did you kind of break out of that later on um, during your career? Well, when we first came here, you know, we're obviously just trying to, in, you know, install our defense, and we used to be, you know, a little bit more blitzaholic, you know, when we first were here, uh, and we still do a little bit of the same thing that, you know, it's the same call that we had in '99 as the Steelers, we we blitz and bring everybody, which mm -hmm. we've done this year or last year. Um, what we had to there, we we thought there as we were playing, that these were our best guys on the team. So it was our 40 personnel group. Mm -hmm. And as we go, the more we did it, uh, and then we start seeing these spread teams that go out to one back and forcing our linebacker out there on a wide receiver, mm -hmm. it started becoming, well, he was a good athlete, and we had some good athletes out there. And really all that guy was is really just a jam guy disrupt him a little bit before he gets to the safety. Mm -hmm. So it would slow him down and the safety could cover him, right? But then after that, we started going and, and there were some guys that we had later on that could run with a guy. Like you look at a guy like Kirksey that mm -hmm. might have been faster than some of our defensive backs. Right. And so the, there was a little bit of, we started playing with him out there and say, boy, do we want to change? But the whole thing was premises. How much do we want to take this guy? How many reps is he going to get? One of our best players out here, can, he, can we take, afford to take him off the field? Yeah. And knowing, can, or can we just play base defense with our 40 personnel? Uh, so we, are, we kind of fought with that a little bit when Norm was here a little bit. And then when I became the coordinator in 2012, you know, that was like a, that was like a mess. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Just trying to get things and who's who. Uh, but as we went through it, it came down to the Wisconsin game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, you know, I think it was one of our linebackers we had out of there on a, on a wide receiver. And, yeah. And it was just, uh, and it was Ben. Ben was, you know. And I, I think, think it was that, Nick, actually. Was it Ben or Nick? I think it was Nick. It was an 18, so I think. Was it 18? Yeah. Might be four. <laughs> uh, well, I'll go back and look at it. I think, right. Well, you, you might be right. You, you probably got better statistics. But anyways, we're yeah. going on it. Just it, it, a little bit of crossover on on some footwork stuff. But um, that's when I said, well, let's put a cash guy in, and let, let's go from it. And, and that's when we changed, mm -hmm. you know. And then we match personnel a, little, a lot more now than we ever have. Right. And we're still developing it and still learning and still keep pushing through some things. And I think it's been very beneficial for us right now. can do a lot more things with that personnel on the field. You know, that's one thing I noticed was, you know, the 40 personnel was, was really good against teams like, you know, in the last decade, in the 2000s when teams were playing Nebraska, you were running the ball. You yeah. know, all these guys are running the ball. Michigan State was running right. the ball. You know, so even Ohio State, State back Ohio then. State was yeah. two backs. You yeah. know, Bob Sander would play cover eight. I I remember that game too. You know, yeah. coming down, it's you know that was perfect for us. Right. 
And then I remember a few times where it caught you. And I, I, two that come to mind was Iowa State in 07 where he had a middle linebacker on a fast wide receiver and he, they had a go route with him at the end of the game. And another one which was, I think it was Ohio State in 10 out here at Kinnick where um, again, a, a linebacker was on a really good receiver, and, and you know, a lot of, I know a lot of times when they'd spread you out, that's kind of where you would put them because that was the farthest away from the ball. And so I'm sure those were probably things that went through your mind. Right. Oh yeah, it was, it was a matchup. Uh, I remember the one at Iowa State when we put them out there was, I think it was, I thought it was a running back out there, but it was a matchup blitz yeah. coverage, and so that's how we matched it up. Uh, good throw, good catch. You know, you got you got beat. Um, but you're right. You, you you have to match personnel, and it took us a while to to move it over. Whether it's stubbornness or you know not comfortable, you do what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got to feel comfortable what you believe in. And and I think right now the way we've done it, I think it's you know we're we're you recruiting a little bit different now because you're recruiting. Is he a corner? Is he a safety body type? So there's there's still a little bit of adjustment that we're doing here with that cash guy okay. you know is he a pure corner or is he a corner hybrid what exactly is he and i think there's a couple multiple guys that could fit in that i think you can bring a corner in you can play it like mm -hmm. we did a little bit with uh, matt hankins mm -hmm. or if you get somebody in there like belton mm -hmm. and he's done a great job i think Kayvon can do a good job i think harris can go in there i think riley moss can go in there as a corner and play cash so I think we have more guys that can do it and they understand it now they see it more and it's, they're seeing it every day yeah as far as coaching uh, as you know the, the game has changed a lot as far as the physicality and what you're able to do and what you can't do certainly from the 80s when you played but also from 50 in the last 15 years um, how do you coach it today and how difficult is it for you as a defensive coordinator who's been in this game for 50 years um, how, how difficult is it to try to adjust to every single rules tweak when, when almost all of them go against your position group well it's it's interesting we have, you have to evolve a little bit but I still you know try to you try to coach the kids everything you see from when you turn the film on of, of studying offenses of what they do and you got to understand them and like you said, it hasn't changed. I just remember the Cherry Bowl. You go back to it in, in the RPO system. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you go back to the Cherry Bowl um, when it was playing Army. And Jim Young, I think, was the coach over yeah. there, running. You know, it was the option. You know, wishbone. You know, to dive. And then you got the quarterback, and then you got the pitch. Well, now we still got the same thing. You got the zone, right? Then you got the quarterback going to keep. Oh, he's going to throw the bubble. Mm -hmm. Or he's going to throw the slant, or you know the slim pose. It's all the same thing. It's you know it's like triple option, the RPO stuff. The only thing that's different in that is they're letting these linemen go downfield. Yeah. So it's hard to read those keys a little bit. Uh, but I really believe that that the way we play split safety quarters, it helps us out the way we we play it, and it's good for us when we're playing the RPO teams. I think. Yeah. You know, and instead of playing single high, we're split safety, but I think it manages up, matches up a little bit better, you know, to the the quick throws, the slants, and, you know, the bubbles and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, it must be, uh, I think 
linemen are allowed to go three yards down the field. Is that right? And then, but a lot of times they're five. And and that's right. it's it's really it's hard to tell. You know, the, the referee's supposed to be standing, or the guy, the umpire, I guess, is supposed yeah. to be standing at three, backs up to five, and they're standing next to them where they're down. It's hard. It's hard. There's a lot of traffic going on. Right. Um, makes it difficult uh, in coaching. That's why offensive guys have a lot easier than defensive guys. <laughs> offensive guys live longer, right? Because it's a slow but stress on us. How are we how are we going to stop these guys? <laughs> Everything's in favor of what yeah. the offense. Yeah. Because you got to have points for people watch watch the game. But in your case, uh, you've been able to slow people down. I think twenty-one straight games, you've allowed twenty-four points or less. Nobody is even at ten, if I recall, in the country. Um, you've had a unanimous first-team All-American last year. You had AJ Epineza before that. I mean, defensively as a whole, um, you've had Josie Jewell. You've had some. You could fill up a pretty good team based on the All-Americans that this uh, unit is is had. Um, what do you think if there's if there's a hallmark if there's some traits that you'd like to define with Iowa's defense what are they and what do you think everybody needs to symbolize and and uh, when they go out on the field first of all you know the guys that go out there we, we put you know you've got 11 guys out there and and you want the guys to be intelligent football players and smart football players and smart means a lot not only you know, know what you're supposed to be doing in a certain defense, but understanding the situations that you're at by formation, down in distance. There's a whole list of things that you, you should be calculating in your brain before the play is taking place and before they even break the huddle. I just think there's so much information to gather. You know, before the play, after play, the situation, everything should be going. Think it'd be, it'd be tough. And tough is a lot of the physical tough, mental toughness, you know, and mental toughness because it's going to be stressful. There's going to be some times that you're going to, you know, you got to make some decisions and quick decisions, you know, second decisions. So you're talking one or two seconds, you got to make a decision what to do based on what you see. So I think that is, that is an effort, mm -hmm. you know. I think, you know, we're looking for effort. And if you're not giving effort, it's kind of hard, you know, to, to keep you out there. I think those three things are really important, you know, being physical and stuff like that. But I think we look for those types of, and everybody working together. And if we could eliminate, yeah, the, the biggest thing is not giving up points, right? Mm -hmm. So there's times that guys might be driving the ball, and you got to be patient enough because sometimes I don't think or offenses are not as patient of trying just to march it three yards in the cloud of dust or you know two yards and just work it down the field. It's hard to do that. If you can back the teams up and get them inside the 20 and try to make them go 80, 85 yards, mm -hmm. it's hard to score, I think. And I just think if we all believe in what we're doing, how to leverage the ball and we play a lot more zone than most people. Mm -hmm. And I think when you play zone defense, you have more eyes and you see more things and you can see the ball coming out where the ball's at. So you have more guys at a point of attack of where the ball's going and you could leverage the ball a little mm -hmm. bit better. Yeah. And that's why you're, one of your 
primary hallmarks is kind of going all the way back to the beginning of uh, you're you're under three play, plays of 20 plus yards per game. Nobody in the country is even close to that. Uh, that helps your defense because you don't have if you're not giving up big plays you're forcing them to go and the patience builds up and then of course you've got enough good players that make plays that have good ball skills or they can rush the passer to say okay even if you hit that one play we're still going to force you to to play ground acquisition football and we feel good about that that's my vantage point anyway yeah and 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 obviously you have to do very well on first and second down to get off the field on third down, you know, and third down is big. And usually, uh, if it's third down one and two, I don't know how many calls I have to stop that. You know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll try, but very seldom do you say. If you get one stop, you get three times, you get third down one and two during the game, you get one stop. But to me, that's success, mm -hmm. right? That's three, you know, that's pretty good based on the yards. Right. Now, the ones you don't like to give up or the chunk plays at third and eight, third and nine, and you give them up, or you give up a 15-yarder. You don't want to give those chunk plays up, you know, especially on third down, and uh, or any downs really. Yeah. But uh, to me, is if everybody's playing on the same level, know who's responsible. In every defense, you better have a guy, the run support guy. You better have a guy running the alley, the cutback guy, and a run pass guy. Mm -hmm. And everybody should know that that when the defense is called, who's who? Mm -hmm. you got to know what you're supposed to be doing. And that's why we've seen players that have uh, maybe better athletic skills over the years but don't see the field over a player who seems to know exactly where to be at every single time. And, uh, and you know, you've got a laundry list of those guys, but then they also get better too, and they right. get bigger, and they get faster, and they may be a walk-on or they may be a low-star guy, and somebody else may be a faster player that just – yeah, it just uh, it makes too many mistakes. The ball goes over his head. Yeah, yeah and what happens is sometimes, and, and I remember one time I had a coach tell me, oh, this kid can really run fast. He's an Olympic, you know, guy should be in the Olympics. So what he runs and track. And I said, yeah, but a lot of times he's twice as far away from where he should be. Mm -hmm. He's fast, but he's, he's going in the wrong direction. Didn't understand how to see things and how to anticipate and you know, read the offense, what they're trying to do, or expect mm -hmm. what the offense is doing. Going the wrong direction. Didn't know what he's supposed to do. Right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Phil. I really appreciate yeah. all the time and breaking everything down. And uh, and as always, we thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending time with us and add, adding us to your podcasting rotation. So please subscribe, rate, and review us. For, Scott Doc for Phil Parker, this is Scott Docterman, and we'll talk to you guys later.